You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob unfortunately could not make this episode. He had a childcare issue, so he won't be joining us today. But today, we're coming to you again from the Sageham Public Library in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, email, and Google Play. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, www.thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at, at the Library Pros, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. Today, joining us is a great group of teen or YA or young adult, depending on how your library qualifies the age group, librarians that are in the trenches every day. I have Stacey Sanzone, Michael Buono, and Michelle Kea? Yes. Kea. I always mess it up. Um, so Mike and Stacy work here at Sachem, but you also work at Patrick Medford. Correct. And Stacy and Michelle, you're at Patrick Medford as well, right? Yes. And I have worked at Sachem. You have worked at Sachem too. Okay. So before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of all the stuff that goes into being a teen slash YA librarian, and that's going to get really annoying really quick. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about you guys. Um, so what, for you guys, why did you decide to go into a library setting? I guess, Mike, you can start. Uh, I worked in a bookstore, Borders, for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed helping people find and locate materials, and I really hated uh, selling things. Uh, like they would have these things called make books where like no matter what people wanted, they'd make you sell the specific book. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a patron or a customer would come up and be like, Hey, I really am interested in world war two and I want a book about world war two. So you'd help them find that. And then you'd have to be like, so how do you feel about buying shopaholic and baby? <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't do it, you'd get written up because that was the corporate policy at the time. And I was like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, so during that period, actually, sorry, one of my um, my general manager of the store suggested that I become a librarian. And uh, after that, you know, with the way the company was going, I pursued it and ended up librarian. Good choice, too, considering what happened to Borders, too. Yeah, I was there to the end. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty wild. That is crazy. Michelle? Um, well, I graduated from college, and of course, I did not know what to do with my life. I thought that I wanted to be a teacher, so I took a semester of teaching classes, and then I realized I don't really like this, and I didn't really want to take time off from school, so I was talking with my mother, who actually works in the circulation department of the Patrick Medford Library, and she suggested being a librarian, which would be somewhat similar to being a teacher, but with less structure and more fun. So I said, why not? And I jumped into going to school and have not turned back from there. Stace? Well, I was, uh, I was actually a teen patron at the Sage and Public Library. Um, so I was already kind of familiar with the people that worked here. And I actually didn't understand like the hierarchy of like different uh, positions and that kind of thing. So I... Um, I um I saw one of my friends from Girl Scouts like actually working and I was like I should totally do that. Um <laughs> so I actually applied and I became a page um and that was when I was 17 years old. So um that's really what did it for me. That's how it started. Yeah. Huh? Okay, so um we all for those of us that are from Long Island, 
it, there's two, usually two schools you go to. You either go to Post or you go to Queens. And every once in a while, there's a St. John's mixed in there. So, Mike, where'd you go? I went to Queens. You went to Queens. Michelle? Queens as well. Stays? I actually, um, I ended up doing my master's degree online. Um, nice. I went to Clarion University. It's in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But they have their master's degree completely online, so I was able to just stay at home and do my degree. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And that seems to nice. be a new trend now, especially in, in library science. Yeah. yeah. It was great, by the way. It was a good program. <laughs> and uh, Michelle, what was the first library job you had? Um, I actually got hired uh, for two jobs in the same day. I did an internship when I was still in school at the Patrick Medford Library. And then I applied for my first library job at the Longwood Public Library. And I went on an interview there, and I got called back on a Wednesday. I was a bartender before I became a librarian, and I was working a lunch shift at my job. And I got a call that I got the job at the Longwood Public Library in the adult department. And that same day, um, Patrick Medford, who I did my internship, called me and said that they had a position open and asked me if I was looking for a job as well. So I got my first two part-time jobs in the same day, actually. It was a very fun day. That's really (laughs) neat. Yeah. That's great. What about you, Mike? Uh, I also interned at the Patrick Benford Library, and before that, I had no library experience. Um, and when that, when my internship was over, they asked me if I would stay on. That's great. Yeah, that's nice when that happens. Yeah, yeah. and Patchogue generally, they're really good about um, developing their talent, and you know, if they want you, they'll keep you, regardless of where you end up going. Mm-hmm. That's great, and Stacy. Well, I I did work at Seachem as a. Uh, a page and then a clerk um, and then I went through library school and I pretty much after I graduated I got my uh, first job at the Longwood Public Library. Mm-hmm. I was an adult reference. Um, they took me in as a trainee and then uh, halfway through that year I got the job at Sachem as a teen librarian. Awesome. Okay so um, <clears throat> now we've already talked about your background a little bit. Michelle you said you were a bartender also. Mike you were at Borders and Stacy just Everything's here the whole time. Yeah. So that, that's really great because um, we all came from different places. Um, but it's nice to see, too, that we didn't have to go hither and yarn to go find a job like what happens with most people here in mm-hmm. Suffolk County where you're, you're juggling three or four different jobs. And then, you know, you have to kind of hope that one of them is going to be able to, first of all, you take the civil service test and hope to get that, that right. good grade. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, you're hoping you get canvassed and hopefully you get to go to a a library that you have familiarity with and, and you know, you're, you want to be at, too. So it, it's nice to see that you didn't have to go so far. But that's also the reality of just number of jobs available. You know, right. I, had, sure. I did just say that they want you, they'll keep you, but that's only if they actually have the money to keep you. And that at the end of the day, it's always fiscal. It's always fiscal because um, the inflation on our health insurance, on, on our retirement contributions, all that's going up and with the tax cap, it yes. makes puts a, it's a real hard decision for someone to fill a full-time position. Right. And for those of us that aren't in Suffolk County or in New York, the, the New York State imposed a tax cap on all municipalities where they can't raise taxes more than 2% or the cost of living, whichever is less. So that's put a bit of a hardship on libraries, uh, especially here on Long Island, Nassau and Suffolk County. Um, I, I think there's some kind of exemption for something in the city. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, though. Because Queens and, and New York Public just seem to be growing regardless. Because they, they're contracted. So the city uh, budgets them money for the library. Right. And then they also self-fund. Right. They don't get money through a tax levy. Right. So 
for libraries in New York State list this past year, the cost of uh, living inflation was only 0.4%. So libraries, unless they decided to pierce the tax cap, meaning they're going to raise it above that 2% or cost of living, unless they decide to do that, they are forced to only raise their budget this past year at 0.4%, which puts a hardship on not only materials and hardware for electronics and computers and programming, but also personnel. So the job market has really tightened up here uh, on Long Island. Um, another thing to mention, too, is with the tax cap, that with the piercing, if you do decide to put a budget out there that's higher than the cap, you need, I think it's 60%. Yeah, it's it can't, high. It has to be a 60% or higher um, vote for yes. And if you don't hit that, then your budget fails, and you have to either revote or use last year's budget. So as a manager, that puts recurrent makes recurring costs like employees really um, terrifying. Right, sure. Absolutely, because it's more than just paying your salary. It's also health insurance, and, and if you have dental and optical and you know life insurance and all those other things, too. So that, you know, it is a struggle for libraries to hire. So before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of, of, you know, being a teen librarian in our next segment, what drew you to work with teens? Because I have to be honest, (laughs) if I go down here at Sachem, the teen department's down on the lower level. I go down there and it's almost like Han Solo when he's running away from something or he's in a Death Star and he looks around a corner real quick and then he puts his head back and like, do I really want to go down there? So for me, it's a little terror. It's almost as terrifying as children's. Children's is a different <laughs> horror show altogether. Um, yeah. And not that it's bad or a horrible way to work, but for me, it's just it's not my forte. So tell me what drew you to the teen depart teen slash YA department. Mike, you can go first. Uh, well, I've been working with teens pretty much my entire life. Uh, I was a uh, scout leader. So as a scout leader, as a, as a boy leader, I worked with teens in a leadership capacity. Okay. And then in college, I moved on to working for a federally funded program called TRIO, um, Upper Bound, mm-hmm. through TRIO. And it was eight weeks for two summers on college campus with um, 180 kids and 18 adults, all between the ages of 19 and 21. I'm getting scared. <laughs> yeah, and it was a residential program, so they stayed with like we lived with them for eight weeks, and we had two days off that weren't our set days off a week, which were just Sunday. Wow! So it was super intense, and I learned a lot very quickly, and I loved it. Um, but afterwards, I was a little burned out on it. So oh, I can imagine that's why I ended up at Borders. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, how, how come you ended up in teen? Um, well, I thought I wanted to be a teacher and work with kids in middle school, but I've always had a lot of energy. I like being active. I always even read YA books as an adult, and I kind of gravitated uh, gravitated toward that kind of stuff. And kids of that age, and they have so much energy. And if you give them a little bit, they come back at you yeah. even more. And just you know, getting out there. And I think my internship, where I worked in both the adult department. And the teen department at Patrick Medford, I just saw when you start to create these relationships with the kids, how much you as yourself get out of it, too. Mm-hmm. And it just really drove me to want to do more like that. That's great. Stacy. you were a teen. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I used to come here, and not just for reading, but we used to play computer games and all that stuff. But... Um, I always have found that my interests have just aligned pretty much with 
what teen interests are. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm big on the video gaming and uh, the anime and like all the stuff that they're into. So it's good for me because I'm like passionate about those things too. Mm -hmm. And that's where I tend to make a lot of connections with them. And it seemed like a natural progression for you too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, um, a lot of our programming, which we'll talk about later, obviously, uh -huh. um, it surrounds those things a lot. So it's come, it's coming handy for sure. Awesome. Okay, thanks for sharing, guys. I really appreciate that. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into the, the, the real nuts and bolts of it uh, about teen librarianship and, you know, how you've seen it evolve and how you, where you see it going. And we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff. So we're just going to take a real quick bake, break, and we will be right back. back with, I'm oh, sorry, give me one second. Oops, I didn't make an adjustment. Hi, we're back with our teen, li teen slash YA librarian groups with Stacey Sanzone from Sage and Public Library, Michelle Kaya from Patrick Medford, and Mike Buono from Patrick Medford. So we touched on this in the last segment, um, but I really, really want to talk more about what motivates you to work with teens. I know we talked about, you know, in the very beginning what your motivations were. But I want to know a little bit more about, like Michelle was saying before, that what you get from it and what you what it drives you to actually do more. Um, you know, motivation in, in this field I think is a huge part of why we do what we do. If you don't have the motivation, you know, then you're just an empty chair. Uh, if you're not motivated by motivated by what you're doing and who the patron, the type of patron that you're serving, I think something gets lost in the mix. Um, so let's go around, you know, and talk a little bit about the give and the take and, you know, what drives you and what happens at the end of the day that really makes you say, I'm coming back tomorrow. So Mike, you want to touch on that a little bit? I think uh, Michelle said it uh, perfectly, which is you give a little bit and you get a lot back. Mm -hmm. um, teens are more open emotionally than adults. Um, I work an adult, an adult reference also, and it takes... It's a trans. It's a relationship built over transactions. Mm -hmm. So you build relationships, but it happens like you have a reference question. You build a little. The little piece happens each time. Right. Whereas with teens, if you open yourself up and you give them a little bit of who you are and you talk to them like they're people and treat them with the proper amount of respect, uh -huh. they open themselves up to you immediately, and that it's like a relationship in overdrive. Mm -hmm. So you know, um, some of the most fulfilling relationships I've had in terms of like a peer friendship relationship have come from people younger than me because of that. Mm -hmm. So professionally it's, it's really rewarding when you can help somebody and what they give you back is literally just, you know, not so much an outpouring of thanks because that's like a little narcissistic, but uh, <laughs> what what they give back to you is a um, like a real true interaction, mm -hmm. which I think as adults we have so rarely. And it makes some sense, especially in this digital world that we live in too. Yeah, 
And Michelle, you, you, you pretty much touched on it before. Do you want to expand on it a little bit? Um, yeah, sure. So I talked to a lot of kids about like books and stuff like that. And with kids, everything is like a heightened emotion. And I'm a very excited person and I like to express myself in that way too. So when you match their energy a little bit, it helps them want to open up. And when you start some talking about something like a book or a TV show or just something that there's a common interest with, they'll come and they'll talk to you more about what's going on in their personal life, if they're struggling to find a job, if they're having a bad home situation, if they don't know what's going on with what they want to do with their lives or just like they're having a problem with their friend or their boyfriend or someone's using drugs like it just it opens up another vehicle for them to have someone to talk to so that's really neat it's very it, real and, and stacy what, what's your experience been um just to kind of build on what um mike and michelle were saying um you do tend to get those relationships and open um transactions if you just kind of you just have to really just listen. Um, I feel that uh, some people have trouble with that because I, I have some teens that will come up to me and if I just listen to them a little bit and just say, oh yeah, how's, how's things going? How are you doing at school? Um, some of them have actually told me, you know, no one else talks to me. So I, mm. I'm so glad you're listening to me right now. And that for me is like, just me being there is enough to make some kids happy. So. Um, never mind all the other stuff that we end up doing as teen librarians. Yeah, and you know, I, you know, in our show notes, I had made a comment <clears throat> about you know the difference between the adult department and the teen department. It's almost like looking at a horse and a zebra. They look almost exactly the same structurally, but they're completely different animals. And it seems as though, in in the teen aspect of of librarianship, it's more than just answering reference questions. It's being a uh, a combination of a friend, a social worker, uh, a guidance counselor, um, a programmer, and you know, a tech nerd at the same time. It seems as though you have to have a, a, a very large skill set in order to be a teen librarian. It's less focused on a single thing. So, in my you know day job, I spend most of my time in adult reference. I do hours in teen also. And when you're on the adult reference desk or you're doing adult reference work. You're focused on the aspect of your job that is particular usually to you in the department unless mm-hmm. you have a small department. So, right. you know, I do um, social media stuff there, so I spend a lot of time doing social media and thinking about social media. But when, when you're with teens, there's really nothing you you can't afford that. You need to think about kind of everything all at once mm-hmm. and be aware of everything that's happening all at once. And kind of be ready for whatever's going to happen all like at the same time. Michelle is smiling and yeah. nodding her head. Yeah, because it's just like that. You'll be one kid will be asking for like more time on the computer. Someone else is fighting with their friend over Minecraft or something. There's someone else that is looking for something. So there's so much happening all at once. Like the energy is there. Where I did work in adult reference um, as well, where it's much more focused. Um, questions that you get from an very individual. pointed yes yeah where it's kind of like all over the map sometimes in the teen department <laughs> <laughs> i noticed that too um yeah you, when you're an adult reference you usually know what you're gonna do when you get in what you have to work on um kind of more focused on i i did mostly like a lot of computer help and stuff like that when i was an adult reference 
with teens, it could be anything, any day. You don't know exactly what thing you're going to be dealing with. You already, you, you always have like, um, like planned out programs and things like that, but you don't know what issues are going to come up with your teens. Right. And you have to make stuff up on the fly and you have to be ready for them. So it's and always different. And I think we have to lean on each other a lot more. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes, like... In a support group. Yeah, the three of us have all worked together separately mm-hmm. in different roles. And, like, your other teen librarians, if they're in the room with you, they're the only thing you got. Yeah. So... You need your own support support group, too, because it seems like, I know that in the adult department, everyone has their own thing. Like, somebody's good with computers, somebody's good with reader's advisory, somebody, you know, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and... If you have a really good team, it's good to see that, you know, everybody pitches in and, and throws their weight behind, you know, a certain aspect of that reference interview, which seems to be, in the adult department, it's really a reference interview, but in teen, it's, it goes beyond just, okay, I answered your question, now you're walking away from the desk. Right. And everybody, it seems like you have your own strengths in, in certain particular areas, so you kind of lean on each other, and that's great to do, and it's great when you have that in, in a facility. And probably the best example of it is jobs. I mean, a lot of times when it, when it comes to you, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I think we've all been there, like, at some point. And just the, you steer them towards something that based off their interests, and you're like, why don't you look at this? And you're not saying you should do this job. You're saying you should read this thing and decide if this is something you might want to do. Right. But then you also end up doing that, like, 20 more times with the same kid. Mm-hmm. So it comes back, and then other people get involved because, like, if it's something that I have no idea about, and I know that Michelle's experience, I'll pull her in, or I'll pull Stacy in, and I'll be like, "What? What do we do here?" Right. And then that's when, because Michelle in the Patchogue, Michelle has a lot of contacts with the school. Okay. So who do we send this kid to talk to? I don't necessarily know off the top of my head, but Michelle might. Okay. Yeah, there's a good partnership. Um, you know, I've seen it in all the libraries that I've worked into, but like. Even if Mike is an adult reference and I, like, needed to ask him a question or something, like, we do, we put the teens first. So we make ourselves available for that and to help whoever's there. So it, it is really nice and very helpful. So you don't feel alone and, oh, my gosh, this kid's asking me something and I have no idea what I'm going to tell them. And, you know, it's funny being an adult librarian. That's what I see happening. You're just an island that's there and you're surrounded by teens. You know, you feel like, you know, it's like. Custer's last last stand or something, but it's nice to hear that you guys can all pool your you know resources together, and you know reach out to each other. That really is cool. I mean, we do that in adult reference too, but you know, there's always the perception versus the reality. And children's librarians, I'm sure, look at adult and go, "Ew, how do we do that? How do you how do you what happens if you don't have the answer?" And I'm looking at you know children's like, "Oh, somebody threw up. How do I deal with that? <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah, well, how do, yeah, how do I do? Well, there's a kid missing, you know, or or the kid can't find the parent, you know, just stupid examples of children's department. I have no idea if any of that really happens on a day to day basis. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it happens multiple times a day. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah. But I mean, it seems as though in teen now you're not just an island unto yourself, and now you're surrounded by all these kids who are you know all clamoring to get into the Minecraft machines. And, you know, there aren't enough, and now you're fighting with the kids. It seems as though it's a lot more collaborative than I thought it would ever be. It has to be. Because, like, like, if I'm getting to a point where I'm getting stressed out, and we all do, mm-hmm. I have to go to Stacy and be like, listen, can you please handle this? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're like, that's enough. I need you to kind of step in for me if you don't mind. But, um, yeah, we all kind of rely on each other. And it's good, though, because I think the teens kind of see that, too, that we work together. And that's good because we provide some kind of consistency that way. 
And I feel a lot of them tend to need consistency in some aspects. So because they're lacking it someplace else. Yeah. At home or at school or or something like that. Occasionally, yes. Wow, that's really cool. So you know, I I've always found because in in library land here in Suffolk County, I've seen some libraries like Sachem and like PatMed, they have a teen slash YA department that is robust. It's large. There's great staffing, and then there are other libraries that have one librarian as the, as the YA librarian and they're pulling adult desk duty and there's other libraries that don't even have a teen slash YA department. You know, it, it seems to be an evolving area of the library. Maybe not so much here at Sachem or at Pat Med, um, but what do you think is happening with regard to service to that particular part of the community, that age group? Nationwide, there's a contraction of YA librarians. So mm-hmm. we're actually losing YA, li- YA librarians and departments in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of recent research FBI also shows that, you know, we're basically losing ground. People mm-hmm. are not taking teen services seriously. Um, and if that's – I'm not – I don't want to blame anyone in particular because I don't think that's true of the administrators as individuals. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a, uh, again, a pressure on funds – Right. Um, and resources and a pressure on, on public use of funds. And a, generally in our country, adults don't look very fondly upon teens. Right. They're always seen as a problem. Right. So if funding is going to be cut from someplace, a lot of times administrators are, administrators are pressured by their board or from wherever the public in general to cut funds from teens. Right. Because they have no voice, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. They don't have no ability to vote. You know, civically, they're not really they're not really active, and that's primarily because they're not allowed to be active. Mm-hmm. Like you know, they're they're pressured out of it. Um, so I actually think we're going through a, a mini crisis. I don't want to call it an actual crisis yet, but we're going through a mini crisis where there's a contraction of funds being devoted towards teen services. Yeah. What do you think, Michelle? I agree with what Mike's saying, but I think if we look to like if they build it, they will come. Like mm-hmm. if there is a space for the teens to be. They will come and use it. I think that some libraries that don't have a teen department, they don't have a teen presence because they don't really have a space where they can be and be comfortable. But if you allow them this space, they will come. And I always feel like I don't care how badly behaved a kid is in the library because if they're in the library, they are not out on the street. Like I worked this past Tuesday night and it was a beautiful first day or fall or maybe it was the last day of summer. I don't remember. But the kids were just going berserk. They were driving me crazy. There was way more kids in the room that could really legitimately fit in there. They were doing homework. They were playing games. But as frustrating as it could be at times, I'm like, it is so much better that all of these kids are right in here with me, driving me crazy, than if they're out on the streets causing trouble or doing anything like that. So I really do feel that if there is a space for teens to come in the library where they feel like it's an area that's dedicated to them and where they're comfortable, they will come. And I hope that people continue to see that it's a necessary thing. But It's beneficial, yeah. definitely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And Stacey, you feel the same way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that if administrators and their boards and the local governments if they realize how much the teens need their departments and it doesn't matter like I think in pretty much any community, you still have teens no matter what that are going to need some kind of space. Um, if we can somehow convince them or show them the benefits 
of having those spaces and those uh, staff members available for them, um, it would outweigh um, any budgetary uh, concerns, any financial concerns. How many kids do we have on Friday night, this past Friday night? Um, we, we were full, which is 65 kids. That's um, amazing. But we had more waiting to come in as well. Right. So we had to actually tell kids to come back because the room was at capacity. And we had kids upstairs, too, that ended up going the track down because they were having fun and they were being too loud and they were bothering adults who were trying to work. Wow. So and, and Sachem has a rather large um, facility for, for teens. Yeah, Almost it's their huge. entire bottom floor. Yeah. Comparatively to other, other libraries, it's probably one of the biggest on Long Island. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I would think so, yeah. 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 So, I mean, when you start thinking about that, it's cheaper. Like, if you divided the return on investment by the number of librarians we had on our salaries mm-hmm. for that night by the number of kids we had, I mean, it's a great use of public money because it's like probably like less than $5 for each for, for each teen. You know, this is a little bit of an off, off-road question, but since this has translated so well in the teen demo, the, the new big, the big thing in library land is to attract the 20-somethings and 30-somethings to get mm-hmm. them to come in because of that big gap. After you're a teen, you go to college, maybe use the library, then you get a job and you don't come back until you have kids, and then that cycle starts all over again. Do you think if, like you said, Michelle, if you build it, they will come. If we did that with programming and maybe a particular area dedicated to the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, do you think it would work on that level too? I think that it would. I mean, I think it would take some time to build up, but I think that it's human nature to want to have a spot. And as the economy still isn't that great, people are looking for free programming or, you know, free entertainment and things like that. And people that have that interest, I think that they would. I think that it will take some time because it still is a newish service to people that they don't, people in that age group don't think to come to the library. Right. You know, as a, you know, a girl in my 30s, I talk to my friends about stuff that the library has and, you know, they don't think to come there. Now they know more because they talk to me. But I think that age group just doesn't think of going there yet. But I do see that it will start. Just the same way, you know, teen services is, is still, I don't want to say new, but it's fairly a new concept in libraries in the past, I'd say, 15 Maybe I'll go back as far as 20 years. Um, maybe the evolution for the 20-somethings and 30-somethings is going to be that same slow progression. Mm-hmm. The, the fight for teen services started in the se- – like, you're right. It, it's basically 20 years that's actually become a thing, but the fight started in the 70s. Right. So there was, like, a good 10 years of fight before there was even Implementation a, of any type. Yeah. Right. And um, I will say this about uh, having a special, separate, separate space for new adults is mm-hmm. I think what we need is a separate space for loud adults. Yes. Because I'm never going to be quiet. Like, it's just not my nature. Right. So I think that what we need is a place where we need a quiet space. Absolutely, 100%. We need a traditional library quiet space and a truly quiet space. Right. But we also need a loud space. We need a place where people of varying ages can go to hang out and just be loud and talk. Um, And I think that's the major limitation to new adults coming here. That itself is because we have kids who age out. And as a teen librarian, this was always my concern, how I ended up an adult, is they have no place to go after that. Mm-hmm. We have kids who like are pretty much depressed, they're aging out, and they don't see the library as being a place they can still go to. Right. Um, 
because they don't have those relationships with adult reference and because the programs aren't what they're necessarily looking for and because there's this perception they have to be quiet. And I know that those same individuals can develop relationships with any adult reference librarian and will be happy getting the programs they want once they develop those relationships. Right. But I think as a li- a whole library point of view of how we're going to build those relationships in teen and carry them over to adult. Right. Well, so, that makes some sense. Yeah, because you want to have a, a, a smooth transition instead of saying, okay, now you're 20. You can't come in here anymore. Sorry. Peace out. Yeah. Sorry. Now, oh, but now I have to go be with all those old people upstairs. I'm out of here. So, yeah. yeah, it kind of begs the question whether or not there should be a transition to, you know, another, like you were saying, the new adult. There's actually a new adult committee in Suffolk, Suffolk yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, like you said, started in the 70s. This may not be a thing until the 2020s or 2030s, but it's starting now. I'm worried that we can't afford, as a profession, we can't afford to wait that long. Right. Like, there's a, a speed increase in the way life has worked modern life is worth. Oh, tef- definitely. Sure. Mm-hmm. So rather than say, you know, it may take 30 years, I'd rather say we need to do it mindfully and quickly. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly really worried because, you know, not for anything also, people in their mid-20s are kind of transient. I don't know how many times you guys have moved and when you're in your 20s. I moved three times. Sure. And the other struggle is keeping people here because yeah. it costs so much to live on Long Island as opposed to any other part of the country. Maybe with the exception of like San Francisco or a place like that, or they're even saying that it, it costs as much to live here in Suffolk County in Eastern Long Island as it does to live in the five boroughs. Yeah, yeah. Because of property taxes and cost of living, and you know, there's a, even a, reten- a retention problem of keeping the twenty somethings here once they've finished college and are ready to start their careers and do that kind of thing. So that's part of it too. Yeah, and our kids, they when they turn eighteen, I feel bad for them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they want to stay, but, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's just not appropriate to have a 19-year-old, 20-year-old person in a program where there are kids that could be 12, 13 years old. So yes. it's unfortunate because we want them to be there, and they will still come talk to us. Mike has a lot of relationships with these kids, too. But there is that gap in service, and I think that, you know, we just have to try and do what we can now. I know it will take some time, but... You know, we get relationships with these people. We don't want to lose them sure. in that gap. Yeah, yeah Mike um, pretty much said what I was thinking, too, is um, the Sagem Library has created a space for those um, 20s, 30s, um, but it tends to be a quiet area um, where if you talk above regular voice, the entire library is going to be able to hear you. So that's my only criticism of that area. But I think if they had another space where they could go play their games, um, we have a lot of kids that like to play tabletop games together um, and just laugh and have fun and not have to worry about um, bothering those around them. Um, So, And I think any library that's considering having that space should take that into consideration because I think they are going to see that, you know, I can't really hang out here anymore yeah. like I can come up and study maybe but that's not why I've been coming to the library I've been coming to play with my friends right. and they just don't have that outside of programming we did uh, Dungeons and Dragons um, tabletop for the 20s 30s uh, yesterday um, but if if those kids had been around like since they graduated they might have gravitated towards that but we kind of already have been losing them so and you had how many yesterday we had six people outside of people that I know bringing their friends that actually came. And then so. Patchogue had 
has two sessions, both with six. So we're talking about that's one program that works for teens and works for adults. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a good transition to the next question. Um, and the question is perspective. Um, we keep talking about the transition going from teen to the 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And you're all in that, that demo, that age group demo. So do you think that your perspective, you know, being in the age group that you're in now, how does that help you to, um, what's the word I'm looking for now, to, to make that connection with, with the teens? Maybe not so much the 12 and 13-year-olds, but more the 16, the 17, the 18, because I'm probably about 10 or 15 years older than you guys. So, yeah, I still have the memories of what it was like to be there, but you guys are closer to that age group, so you probably have more of a, a connection. Does that sound silly? No, it makes yeah. sense. Okay. It makes sense. You know, tell me a little bit about that, about that perspective. There, there's a librarian at Patchogue who I think illustrates this pretty well. Her name is Martha. Mm-hmm. She's like in her 60s, and the kids love her, and they connect with her instantly. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about age as it is about attitude and openness. I mean, she's just a warm, loving, open person, mm-hmm. and the teens connect to that. Same can be true. Same is said of um, Sue Technowitz, the former head of teen services here. Mm-hmm. She was older, and the kids saw her one day, and she just told me last week they like ran up and hugged her. That's great. Yeah. So it's like age is a thing, I guess, that the kids mm-hmm. may be initially a little bit more willing to approach you, but it's really about how you treat them. And I feel that um, teens tend to not discriminate as much as adults do, actually. So um, it's about what you show to them. Um, you don't have to know all the pop culture. They will tell you. Like, if you are just like, oh, what's that you're reading? Or what are you into? Or what's Doctor Who? Like, they will tell you. They will tell you the whole thing. And they will love that you even ask them. So it's not really, um, I, you know, we have uh, staff that are all different ages in our departments. And the kids get along with all of them so um i don't really see it as it being age it's more of like a personality and your willingness to um interact with those kids and just like i said earlier like just taking the time to listen to them um and find out what their interests are that's interesting because i thought it would be the other way around because you guys were younger you had more of the mindset and they would gravitate more towards you that's that's really an interesting perspective because that that's completely different than what I had thought, thought would be the, the case. I think it's the type of relationship you form is what that aspect. So, like, kids, no matter how much younger than they are of me, than me, tend to treat me more like an older brother, not like a parent figure. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, you know, Sue, they might treat her like a parent figure. It depends. Right. It, I think that di- the age does t- change that part of the dynamic. Mm-hmm. But it's more about opening yourself up to other people and connecting with them, being really willing to... It's not just asking the question of how was your day at school. It's about asking it and caring how right. your day at school right. was. Sure. Well, you know, this is actually a good transition to the next question that I had because, you know, if Bob were here, he would say the same thing. Bob and I are, are tech geek nerds. So how do you... And it sounds like you guys have great relationships with the kids outside of anything that's digital or electronic, but how do you utilize... Um, and integrate technology into what you do. Now, obviously, there's Minecraft, and I'm almost being stereotypical now, right? <laughs> Talking about the Minecraft. teen stuff. Minecraft and, you know, all that other stuff. Tell me what you guys do with the digital end of things 
to not only attract the kids but retain the kids and in some respects get the kids out and away from it. You know, tell me what you guys what your what your methodology is. I mean, I think I'll talk more on how to get them away from it um, because I am not the most techie person. I can do the technology. I'm somewhat familiar, but I am not one of the librarians that knows coding. I don't play Pokemon Go or Minecraft. Like That's just not my forte. So I do my best to integrate it, but I think that you know, being someone, I do a lot of book groups with the schools and kids that I've gotten really good feedback from. I do more craft type programs. I like doing physical programs. So I would say that I do a good job pulling them away from the technology. But as Stacy said too, if you ask them, they're more than willing to tell you. I don't play some of these things, but I ask about it and they'll tell me everything I need to know and more about this thing. And it's, you know, it's not my thing, but I'm interested in the teen. So being asking them questions like, oh, what's that? Or how does that work? Or, and a lot of times they will want to show you if they have like a new app on their phone or if they know something. If I ask them, like, oh, how do you do that? They are very willing and they want to show me. And then it creates that relationship and we talk about stuff from there. Well, it's interesting you say something like that because I've always found with my own kids, instead of saying, well, why don't you know how to do that? Sometimes I'll, I'll give the uh, example, like with my one daughter. I'll say, I don't, especially with Common Core math, Jesus, God, help us all. Um, how do, I don't know how to do this. Show me how to do that. And it'll go from, I don't want to do this or I can't do this to, well, let me show you, Dad. And they'll do the whole thing. And I, you kidding me? Even after they explain it, it's still a struggle for me. Yeah. I couldn't do regular math. Now, Common Core math, forget it. But um, it's almost like a, a self-teaching method mm-hmm. where you ask them and then they show you and then you see the light bulb go on where they actually answer their own question. So I've used that technique with my own kids. So I can imagine that that's something that you have in your, your, your teen toolbox. It's probably one of the more, most useful things you can learn to do. And mm-hmm. I admit that you don't know, know knowing something sometimes for us is hard because we tend to know a lot of stuff. It's part of our job to know stuff. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating when you don't know. But um, I think the, the best example I can think of is Alex, the page who works here. Yes, Alex is, Boris. He's a great guy. And he knows so much. So when he was 17, he first started working here, and he's like, do you know about this? And I was just like, nah, man. And he'd explain it, and it'd be like way over my head, and I'd be like, all right. <laughs> yeah, sometimes he's, he does that with me, too, and I'll just say, I just get up off my chair, and I just put my hands out and say, sit and show me. And then he'll go at 100 miles an hour, and I'll retain... 30%. Well, I mean, like, it, um, it's just people have different strengths and weaknesses, and the kid's brilliant. So it's like you're going to run into these people, like, at 14, 12, right. who are just brilliant. Yeah. You know? So I even with my level of tech skill, I'm going to confront these kids who are brilliant, and what am I going to do? And be like, no, you have to be able to do exactly what Michelle said. Right. Ask them to show you. Be open to it. Do it with warmth. And... That's it. Yeah. What do you think, Stacey? Um, Building on what they said, um, we do try to make technology available to them, um, but there's so much, and we can only learn so much ourselves to teach them that we try to incorporate programs that will help us learn alongside them. Right. um, Because a lot of them will pick up things faster than us. We can show them one thing one week, and the next they're an expert on it. Right. So, And then the next thing, you know, they're showing us how to do everything. 
Um, people ask me, you know, how do I set up this Wii U? I'm like, just ask the kids, they'll show you. They'll have it up in like two <laughs> seconds. Um, we do encounter teens from time to time that don't have, um, like they have trouble like doing Google searches and you know, that kind of um, level of literacy. Um, so, but we do have our librarians on staff ready to help when it comes to like homework and research. Right. Um, that stuff tends to be a little more um, lost on them. Um, but when it comes to the video gaming and coding and robotics, like they tend to pick that up. It's kind of incredible. You have these kids who like can't really form a good Google search yeah. to find what they need, and then they're like, "I'm going to do Lego robotics." You're like, they're like what? clicking on ads on Google, and they're like, "Where's what's this website?" <laughs> this but, is uh, they can code, uh, you know, Lego Mindstorms though, and, and get a robot to do what they want. But ask them to pa pass you the Phillips head screwdriver. <laughs> Depends on the kid. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know we try to incorporate tech into our programs in a light way, I would say. You know, so Stacy has been doing a program for here about RPG Maker, which is a software where you make an RPG game. Mm -hmm. It's like a traditional JRPG, top down, low level of coding. Um, but like, I'm only gonna get through like the tutorial level of knowledge, probably. Right. You know, and I'm gonna teach them the tutorial level of knowledge. And then I'm going to be like, these are the sites you go to if you want to learn more. And then five weeks from now, they'll be like, I made this game. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> It'll be on sale next week. You can buy a copy. And, exactly. and, and, and your reaction is like, oh, that's awesome. They're like, Why, what games have you made? And you're like, I, I haven't had time. I've been working. <laughs> yeah, um, we basically just need to show them, hey, this is available. This is how you get started. And then from there on, we can show them how to figure out how to do it afterwards. Like we can say, this is a good tutorial website you can use. This is where you can go to find more information on this. We can get them books. Um, but we do tend to encourage them to learn on their own as well. So, so you know, it really is interesting about the, the, the concept of digital literacy. Um, in the adult department, it's how to use an iPad, how to, you know, use a computer. But for you guys... Man, it's so much more complicated because you could be very digitally literate on, and I don't mean adult reference, but on an, on an adult level, but then everything that's streaming underneath you is like an underground river of, yeah. you know, coding and, you know, video game production and keeping up with all the updates on Minecraft. I only know that because my kids torture me with Minecraft all the time, uh, you know, and there's just so much to it. And then there's, you know, Xbox and PlayStation and... The Wii, even though the Wii kind of hit the wall and is done, and Nintendo DS and all the other game systems where you kind of have to... Do you feel like you're getting dragged behind the car every now and then when it comes to keeping up with this stuff? It, it can be challenging. I mean, um, we just got Raspberry Pis and um, what's that? we got Spheros and we got some other uh, like robotic type things and we haven't even like opened them yet. But um, and we have programming coming up for them. So, mm -hmm. but I figure, you know, if a teen's going to learn it, I should be able to learn it within that short period of time, also. Right. So, and like I said, if we just give them the initial, like, here's what it is, here's what it does, um, here's some resources you can use to figure out what to do with it. Just showing them that it exists, I think, is a good start because then they can go from there. They can say, you know what, I could make this out of this, and that would be really cool. Right. Um, so I think that kind of helps that we don't have to be experts in everything. Right, because the kids turn into instant experts almost. Yeah. I mean... A lot of them. Yeah, they, they turn into experts 
a lot of them on their own, but also I think that sometimes specialization belongs in adult reference mm-hmm. in the sense that like they will get there to you guys and they're going to have they're going to ask you this complicated question and then that is when the specialist needs to be there right. because at some point Stacy showed somebody how to use a, a Wacom tablet and is doing digital art and now all of a sudden five years later like how do I get published right yeah. you know like that's how that happens that is the ecosystem they grow they grow into the adult world yeah yeah but we need to make sure they go to you that's that's where our challenge is right now Right, not just leave the building and now they're done with teen and they're not coming back as adults. Because there's plenty of things they can get out of adult reference. It's just that they they go away. Right. And then they talk to randos on the internet and who knows what they're telling them. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I wanted to um, also talk about um, the other flip side of that. Have you ever seen kids who came in who had, I don't want to say no digital literacy, but maybe, you know, they're just, they've just moved to the neighborhood or they've just moved to this country and, you know, they know what a computer is. They've kind of used it, but they don't have that acuity. And, you know, how do you handle a teen who's like that? Are they sitting in the corner somewhere and you kind of have to grab them and say, come and play with the other kids? Or, you know, how does that work? If you find somebody who, you know, they, they can use an iPad, but that's just about it. You know, how do you integrate them into the, the stream well, I think that's a good reason why we have librarians that are also good with the crafts. And like, I don't think a teen has to know how to use. Like, they shouldn't feel forced to have to use an iPad or do something that's techish. Um, that's why we have other librarians with other um, specialties, and they can get into the crafts, and maybe that could kind of ease them in a little bit. And once they're used to being in the library, then they might feel, you know, what I want to use one of those iPads. How do I, you know, it'll kind of ease them into learning the technology as as they get used to the library itself. Yeah, do you think it's a, more of a shyness issue than it is, uh, you know, an, an inabil- inability to use the resources? It depends. In Patchogue, Michelle probably handles this a lot more than I do, but... Yeah, there's, a, you know, there's a couple teens. We have a bigger immigrant population that they're not as familiar. You'll ask them, do you have a flash drive to save your homework? They won't know what a flash drive is or... They might not have an email. So, I mean, so you do do these basic, you know, digital literacy things and teaching them how to create an email. And a lot of times then the teen will teach their parents how to do that. And then if it becomes like getting comfortable with iPads and stuff like that, we have such a good core group of kids that comes in. I could say to one of my teens like, oh, Jeffrey, hey, Chen, do you want to show him how this works or you know, just kind of making, having them help each other. And then it builds a relationship. And it does build a relationship. Then they'll be like, oh, do you play Minecraft? Or, okay, let me show you this. Or, you know, it just starts sometimes with, like, you helping introduce. And a lot of times kids do want to help each other, especially if they know something and they know it well, like how they want to teach us. They do want to help each other. That's great. That's also a very helpful thing. We've gone from teaching kids how to copy and paste like one week and like five weeks later, they're just like doing everything on their own and hanging out with other kids. Yeah. So. They really are sponges, huh? Yeah, they, they are learn sponges. Fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also see that happening with uh, special needs teens as well. Like uh, they might want to play Minecraft. They see all the kids playing Minecraft. They don't know how to play. I'll be like, hey, uh, can you can you show him? Can you help him to get to where you are? And like, and the kids are always like, yeah, yeah, come in. Cause they want to have more kids playing with them. So, right. um, and, and that's always really nice to see, you know, no matter who it is, whatever kind of, um, they just don't know how to play or, or do whatever the other teens are doing. A lot of them will just be like, Hey, come do this with me. 
and it's really great. That is awesome. And whereas an adult reference, like we tend to do one-on-ones because that's what they want. With teens, if you do one-on-one with a, a teen who might be special needs or might be socially awkward or might not speak the language very well, you're kind of isolating them. Because I didn't think of it that way, yeah. They they see them with an adult, and then all of a sudden they're like, we're not going to approach this situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you bring them in, you're providing them with a, a potential friend. That's great. I, I, and then the next day they come in, they know the kids who are there. So they're like, they just go right to them. They don't have to be like sitting in a corner somewhere. Most of our kids who are downstairs and super loud and super social downstairs, outside of that space are shy kids. That's because it's their, yeah. their safe space. Right. Their yeah. safe. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with regard to like reference questions, you know, as technology aside, they have a book report they need to find or they need to find, you know, a, a fiction book they have to read to write a book report on or they, they're doing a science project. What kind of reference questions do you see there? And because you've all also worked in, in the adult department, what's, is there a different technique involved? with that type of reference question as opposed to, you know, you would if you were in the adult department? The, um, yeah, I mean, it's weird because the reference interview is different. Mm-hmm. Like, adults are generally more patient with you trying to get to what they want, Okay. Um, whereas teens don't usually even want the thing they're looking for half the time. So, like, for instance, with reading, I need to find a historical fiction book. Like okay, what kind of historical fiction book do you like? And you go through the whole reader's advisory thing, and the kids like that as one whatever book's closest to me, <laughs> and right. is under 150 pages. Because like, they don't care about history at all. No, and it's yeah. it's maybe they will one day, but you know, mm-hmm. in that moment, they're just like, this is a thing I have to do. You know, I spent two hours trying to find a book for a kid the other day, who really just wanted to talk to me and use the book as an excuse. But mm-hmm. you know, that was the reference question I got. Well, did, would you ever use a, like a, a DVD, like a movie, as a way to to get somebody to be interested in a topic? So then they would maybe pick something for like historical fiction. Like let's say I'm picking the worst historical movie ever is Pearl Harbor, and they're doing a story on you know they're doing they have to write a book and like well Pearl Harbor it's Ben Affleck watch it and then maybe you'll get interested in it and want to read a historical fiction about Pearl Harbor or something like that. Most of the time when it's a reader's advisory question like that, it's a like it's an assignment, so they have to get it done. Right. So, so you have a time limit on it. Yeah. There's a time limit on it. And I, it's, that's not necessarily my role. My role is to get them the, th- the thing they need and make it hopefully the best thing I can give them so they'll like it after that. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll use a movie in terms of like, do you like any historical fiction Oh, movies? I see. And go from there. A lot of a lot of time we'll get that like the day before that's due too. So, oh God, yeah. Um, usually a movie that's just another thing they have to go through that they're already not that interested in. Um, and I feel that um, you know when they're doing their reference, uh, it's harder for us too because we have to get stuff they can actually understand. Like when you're an adult reference, you can pull up articles and you know the, for the most part you have a college student or an adult just doing adult learner. Um, they, they understand the material, but with teens, you have to get them articles they can actually interpret, and um, so that's hard because you have to sift through a lot of content that way. So and you have to do it longer. fast. And you have to do it fast because they want it done. They, their parents coming to pr- pick them up in 20 minutes, and they got to be out of there. And another problem is um, with the books that they need for their research, 
you know, if one kid's doing it, there's probably 40 other kids that are doing it. That's true. In that yeah. week. And they all come in that week and then the books are gone. So we have that problem too, I feel. That's different than like adult reference. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That there's a smaller sect of books that are related yeah. to a certain topic. And I feel like one of the issues too is the kids want the quickest result. So they're on Google looking and I'll try to say, if you go on the library's website, we have these databases, but then I'll physically bring something up and find an article and show them and say, oh, you know, you can see on the bottom, like, cause they do need citations and stuff like that, sure. regardless mm -hmm. if they understand what it is. And I'll tell them too, like, what's this, can you find the source on the Google article? And a lot of times they can't, right. or if they're like actually typing what the research question is, into Google, like the full <laughs> sentence with the question mark and stuff like that. So it is a little bit harder to bring them and show them like that there are ways to get good articles and information other than Google. Or if they say like, oh, there's no books on that, like, all right, whatever. Like you have to kind of bring them in that one step further. So research questions can be a little more difficult. Some kids that are very homework driven Mm -hmm. are more patient and wanting to know what like the proper way is but that kid that's a little reluctant it definitely presents more of a challenge finding them the right resource you know, like stacy was saying you know there may be only a certain amount of books and all those books are out showing the dinosaur that is my brain now i can't believe i'm saying i'm a dinosaur but i think well that's right we don't have encyclopedias anymore no you know or a reference collection or they're in use they're in house use only so right so, you know, you can't just go to a reference collection that would, you know, obviously stay in the building so you can then pull some reference materials out. But you make a great point, Michelle, about the, dat the databases. The databases kind of take that going in an index and looking through an index. Okay, ancient Egypt. Okay, gods and mythology. And now going to that page and then taking notes. Now you can just jump on the database and do a keyword search, control F, and find exactly what you're looking for within minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just my brain just was working differently there, <laughs> showing my age. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I want to say, though, is that just because a kid's not homework-driven, which mm -hmm. is something that we, I think we, we are all aware of, but maybe some adults don't think about, is does not mean that they're bad students in terms of grades. Right. So, like, my best friends in high school were all high-end AP kids, mm -hmm. and they never did any homework. Wow. They, they would do it in, like, 10 minutes. They'd make it all up, and, like... That's just they did really well in school. They were all in like the top 50 of our class. Uh -huh. So you have kids who come in who are legitimately struggling with school, with grades, who are very homework driven, who may be ready to cry because they just don't either they don't get it or it's hard. And they're like the impatience may not be not caring, I guess is a point I want to make. Uh -huh. It may just be they're emotionally drained by it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because we've all known the, you know, the sweats that you get is due tomorrow and it's Sunday and it's due on Monday and, you know, you only have a limited amount of resources and you're trying not to copy it verbatim, you know, so yeah, that, that, that's, it's, I guess it's something that, that transcends time too. It's something that we all have to deal with at one point in our lives. Yeah. Um, just to switch topics just for a second, we were talking a little bit before about your print materials. Now, every library kind of has a different philosophy when it comes to the collection some will some libraries will have the entire teen collection segregated from the rest of the collection some will have fiction um 
you know, fiction's just fiction segregated in its own department or its own place, and some will, you know, and have nonfiction in with the red general collection with the adult department. How does Pat Med do that? I, I know how we could talk about CHM too, you know, and how does that work with regard to the A, the kids feeling comfortable going and getting the books, and B, um, how you guys feel with regard to collection development and, and the organization of how the collection is laid out? Well, at Patchogue, the nonfiction is separated, you know, in a separate room with the teen fiction. All the teen materials are separate. Okay. Um, so, unfortunately, though, our nonfiction collection has not been as big. We're developing it more. But a lot of times that's a good basis for the kids to start finding stuff. And right. it's in the area that's, like, right by our teen desk. So it's an area where they're comfortable being. And sometimes, you know, if we need more materials... We'll go down to the children's department or go to the adults department. But for the most part, the teen nonfiction materials and the stuff they're going to use is all near us in that room. And I think that it does really help um, the kids feel more comfortable just going to the shelf and finding stuff or looking around as opposed to, I know in Sachem, right, it is separate in the adult collection that they have to go elsewhere to get it. It's a little more confusing. We have it in like both both oh, places. Okay. Because you have like neighborhoods, right? With the anime separate. And... Yeah. We have our own like nonfiction in that room that had the 65 kids in it. Um, that room has its own nonfiction. Then we have a new nonfiction collection. And then we have the stuff mixed up with the adults upstairs. Yeah. So it's it interfiled. Little... Yeah. Do you find that it's more difficult for the kids to find stuff? Um, both the kids and the parents. Because a lot of time they said, oh, we were supposed to come downstairs. But. They went downstairs, but not far downstairs, oh, like too far yeah. downstairs. Yeah, because you have to do two levels to get to team. Yeah, and so it, we get a lot of people that, like, come down saying it's down there. I'm like, no, it's up the up the stairs a little bit. And we have nonfiction down there as well, and it depends on the location when they're looking in the catalog where it's going to be. So it gets a little uh, messy sometimes. In, in Patchogue, the other thing we do in the adults' department is that the materials that we buy are meant – we have all levels, so we have things that are appropriate for people who have not graduated high school because plenty of our, you know, 30-plus adults have not graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Enough have or they haven't gone to college. So we have materials for everyone in each topic on all levels. Mm-hmm. So that makes it not really necessary for a teen to duplicate every research topic. Right. Yeah. It is helpful. The adult, it is nice because we'll start here in the teen department and maybe we'll have a book or two, but and then we can walk over to the adult department and there are more resources there. So it gets them familiar with using both areas too, which is kind of a nice it thing. It makes some sense, yeah. So before we were talking about, you know, talking to the kids and helping the kids and, you know, the, I think I wanted to talk a little bit more about the concept of community service with respect to you know, the age group. Uh, maybe it's, like you were saying before, somebody has is struggling with drugs or they have a bad home life or, you know, how do you kind of wrestle and deal with that? And is that something, you know, as, a, as far as community service um, goes, not so much community service where you're earning points for, you know, so you can get your communion or, or whatever it is for that. You know, more of the helping kids almost like, I don't want to say social worker, but you're helping them with a, an issue that may go a little bit further than just, you know, doing what a, a traditional librarian does. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's having the right resources and being non-judgmental 
and talking to the kid. So, and just being honest and frank with them and saying like, you know, do you have a place to stay tonight? Like, do you have something to eat? And in Patchogue, there are some food pantries, there are local shelters, or we'll try to say, you know, a lot of the teens rely on their friends and stuff like that. Like, is there someone around? Um, we do have some good local resources. We have um, something called the Mercy Center, which houses some girls that are still in high school but can't stay at home for whatever particular reason. So trying to just really be honest but in a non-judgmental way with the teen and find out what, like, what is their most immediate need today. Because right. a lot of them do have a variety of issues that are going on that, you know, they feel overwhelmed or helping them find a job or just say, like, you know, even I passed um, the Dollar Tree and I think that there is a help wanted sign out there and just showing that you care in just any little way. And a lot of times it's kind of just seeing how they're feeling and how much they want to tell you. But I think having stuff at your disposal so you're not just like oh my goodness what am I going to tell this kid and knowing that there are places that they can go and just kind of checking in with them that way mm -hmm. anybody want to Stacy um in our teen department uh we also have a wall with um like helplines and resources where it's kind of like in the corner but they know where it is and a lot of the kids sometimes they'll pull that stuff out just like for fun or to see what it's about. But we think that's a good thing because um, they know it's there. But um, we have all sorts of like help hotlines and things like that that they can refer to on their own without having to feel like they have to come to us. But I've found that another good thing with our teens is because we are open and we, and we talk to them, um, they tend to tell us things without us even having to ask sometimes. We just yeah. find out. Um, and then, you know, we, we pull our resources together and figure out what we're going to do and, and what's the best um, way to proceed. Um, so, you know, and it's good that we have that support that we were talking about earlier between other librarians too, because we can say, you know, um, you know, this is going on. Mm -hmm. What is, what is the way we should go about this? And it's no one person has to kind of, you know, be on the spot with that. I think that's the good thing about our department being kind of big with a lot of staff. So, yeah. I mean, I really feel for those librarians that are alone. Mm -hmm. Those yep. teen librarians who are alone out there, because it, the job is enough as it is, <laughs> right? Know? Sure. Um, and it the the hardest part of the job is those moments is because the, it's emotionally draining. It's um, it's something that you really have to mentally and emotionally prepare for when you walk into the work, right? And something you have to try to leave behind when you leave work, and it is probably the hardest part of the job on a routine basis, right? I can imagine. Yeah. So I will say this though: one thing that we are doing at Patchogue is we have brought social workers into the library. Really? Yes. I started with an intern. Um, she works directly underneath me. She worked directly underneath me after she developed a um, group for family and friends of people who are addicted, uh, which is open to teens. Mm -hmm. We moved on from there, and now this year we're finally going to have a uh, social work intern working underneath her and, my, her and I who's going to be sitting in the teen department available to them on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays uh, and some Thursdays to um, handle those issues that we can't because we're not mental health professionals. That's yeah. a great uh, service to have. 
Yeah, we're, it's, Patrick is moving in that way as they're noticing the community too. We also have um, a counselor who's coming on Tuesday nights who's like a college access counselor who's there to kind of make himself available and talk to the kids about what they want to do after high school or if they feel overwhelmed about the college process or think that it's something that they could never do or afford or talk to them about trade schools or about finding employment and stuff like that. So what we've noticed is kind of similar to how the kids start to develop relationships with us. If this person is there in the room and we introduce them, the kids will feel comfortable and hopefully go to someone whose expertise is in you know, social work or in being a guidance counselor or providing college access because as librarians we know a lot about everything but we're not experts in all this stuff. So it's nice to be able to put these kids in with the right person to get them further with what they need and they feel safe as it's an adult that we know and we're going to introduce them to and it's in the library where they feel safe so that really is a great service that really it's that's kind of mind-blowing it's great it's it's something i think that every library should really have right i think so it's it's possible to do too i mean like you have to understand like i have i started with a intern that was free from stony brook university and I trusted her, her skill set. I trusted my partner, who was a clinical social worker, who's her clinical supervisor. Mm-hmm. That's how I got started. You guys cert- sought out somebody who had the expertise that you needed. And you interviewed, and you you essentially contracted them, right? Um, I believe we got a grant, and that we were able to um, pay for this person to come on, which allows us to see how it works, and then say, wow, this guy is making a difference. Now maybe we can pay him mm-hmm. to come in. But there are a lot of really great grants out there, too. You might, it's you know work looking for them and mm-hmm. writing and getting approval. But that's how it started. It came off the ground because we got a grant to hire someone. And then we'll be hopefully lucky enough to keep him on if you know it proves to be successful. So like this school year, it's awesome because we get to start this school year with four days a week of having you know, essentially four days a week of having somebody available to teens to talk to them about issues that we're not yeah. specialists in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important, like mental health is hugely important and we can do mental health first aid in the sense we can be like, are you thinking about harming yourself? You know, is there anyone we could talk to or call for you? You know, if they're going to commit suicide, like you can't just be like, oh, go home, you know, right. like the kid tells you they're going to commit suicide. You got to be like, Oh, what am I going to do now? Or don't do that. And now you got to go help somebody else over there. Right. And they walked away. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So mental health, we did mental health first aid training. Stacy did that. Yeah. We had a focus on mental health helpful. at YASD last year. Um, and we're, we're going to, I, I'm going to keep pushing. I know Michelle will keep pushing. I know Stacy's going to keep pushing these kids. A lot of them don't have the resources to get help. Right, and they may not go to the school psychiatrist because they're afraid of CPS being called if there's a situation like that. So they're going to avoid going to a mandated reporter. So they tell you instead, which is like, what? What do you do with this? Right. Yeah. Um, sure. So it's, you know, we can't just pretend. Like, we can't just try to handle it all on our own. We need to, again, we need to admit when we don't know something, and we need to look for outside help when possible. And that might be the form of partners or contracting or interns or whatever. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's that's a heck of a resource to have, though. That really is great. Um, switching gears for a sec, we talked before about school districts, and we um, Michelle said, you know, you have a really good relationship and rapport with the school district. Um, how do you, you know, how does that work? How do you communicate with them? How does it work interaction-wise with the schools? Because PatMed has what nine elementary schools and. 
I don't know how schools. many elementary schools, three uh, but we have um, three middle schools and a high school. Mm-hmm. And when I was given this role as kind of the school liaison, it had been kind of fallen to the wayside for a while. So I had to kind of start the relationships from the ground up with getting in. And, you know, it's really worked out really nicely that we started with the school librarians. We got um, some of the administration people on board. I know all the principals from the middle schools and the high school now. I have a book club in all of the middle schools and the high school, and I do one with um, a special education class as well in one of the middle schools. So they're starting to see the library as an important resource. And, you know, I go physically to the school and do these things there so the kids are used to seeing me at the library and in the schools. I go to the PTA meetings once a month at night and I bring all the stuff that the library has going on. And, you know, it's just taking that step and getting it out there. I email the schools and they put our flyers up on the website. Whenever there's something going on, we do make contact. If there is something that we could do, we just got a financial literacy grant. So we went into the high school classes and taught the kids some basic financial literacy things. But it took a while to get that relationship started. So I could email the teachers and say, we have this going on. And talking to the Honor Society about what community service programs that we have. Mm -hmm. So it took a while to get that started. It was, you know, some phone calls, a lot of unanswered emails, and teachers are very busy people, and so are school administrators. But it's kind of a, with a lot of things that we do in library service, it's kind of like, we just got to push and let people know what awesome things we have going on. And then they will be receptive. So it's been a, a long uphill struggle. But now it's really great that we can have that really back and forth relationship with the schools before michelle started our traffic coming to our website from the school district was like really low mm-hmm. now it's like one of our top referrers oh, that's great i didn't know that <laughs> so just just to give you that's an, an actual hard numbers impact it's like one day i was just looking at our top referrers and i'm like what is this and i clicked on i, I clicked on the um uh, the number like i clicked on it real quick without even looking at it it brought me to the patch i went from school's website Wow. You know, so her work has like the hard numbers to back it up too. It's really awesome. That's great. Hard work paid off. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's nice. And it's nice to talk with the administrators and you know, we got we go there, we give the teachers library cards and they're really excited too. A lot of times they don't know all of the stuff that the library has to offer. And we have a really good set of school librarians that wanna bring their classes into the library or that promote the library and that bring us in for book clubs and stuff. So it is really good. That's great. What's going on with, uh, with Sagem? Um, we also have a pretty good relationship with our schools. Um, it was all pretty much established before I started really working here, but um, we do our summer programming. We go visit the schools, we give a presentation, we show them all the stuff that's coming up. Um, they tend to get very excited. Um, we want to get our new fifth graders coming in because um, obviously it's entering sixth and up for our area. Um, we also, um, you know, if we have big events, we've had an art show. Um, we've had other events going on where we've communicated with them to promote on their end. And then um, they actually sent us a lot of artwork from the, from the high schools. Um, so I think we have a pretty good um, communication and, and relationship with them, which is really good because it's always good to have that extra support. Um, and, you know, the teachers are the ones who inspire their kids and get them to come into the library. So we really need that uh, relationship. 
That's great. Do you ever feel, um, with especially like we were talking before about assignments, do the teachers ever reach out to the to to the, your department saying, "Look, we have, you know, we're reading this book. Their kids are going to need resources on this." Or I'm, I told the kids to go to the library to pick up, you know, maybe with a reading list for the summer or a reading list for the year where they're going to do some independent reading and they have to read one of these ten books where you can then make accommodations and either interlibrary loan those titles or um, per- make additional purchases? Do you ever work with teachers or the administration like that? Our teachers will email us when there's big assignments coming up. Not all of them do. Sometimes we find out through the teens, but then we make an effort to get those uh, materials that they need for those assignments. For our summer reading, too, we obviously uh, we'll interloan extra copies and um, make sure that they're prepared for that as well. That's, like, the bigger thing, I think. But, um, we may, you know... Um, we do have some teachers, though, that regularly will tell us when there's assignments. It's really important, too, because, yeah. you know, it's it's part of the service, not just on their end, but on, you know, the library's end as well. And it should be a partnership. It really mm-hmm. should be. It should be a, almost a seamless partnership. I know it usually isn't, but it really should be that way. That's something that we still struggle with. A lot of times it's me emailing. I start with the school librarians asking, oh, do you know of any major projects coming up so we can try to prepare ourselves? Usually we hear from the teens first. I think it's still trying to get the teachers to know as part of when you assign certain things to reach out to the library make sure we have the proper resources. So right. unfortunately, there isn't that much back and forth. It's a lot of my asking and hopefully getting a response. But, you know, it just takes that footwork, and I'm willing to do it, and hopefully there'll be more back and forth in the future. Yeah. I feel like there's a technological solution there that hasn't been developed yet um, <laughs> where it's not so much work for teachers to communicate with librarians and other staff members what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, I my wife's a teacher, so I look at a lot of the edu- educational technology stuff she deals with, and there's really no place for a teacher just to upload like what assignments they're doing, mm-hmm. and for everyone else just to go check in a like secure portal, or even push it out to the people who would be concerned, like Michelle. Yeah, almost, almost like in, on the college level where they have like Blackboard, yeah, where it's like it's a collective. Everybody logs into Blackboard. Their schedule's there. And all the assignments can be posted there, and then you can submit your assignments to Blackboard with, so then the teacher would get it. If they had something like that in the school district, would, you can integrate or maybe include a user login for the library. Maybe that would be more helpful. Even on the back end on the Blackboard, though, that's all still back communication back and forth for the professors when it could just literally be, this is the book that we're, I'm going to use, submit, and it pushes out to everybody. Right something for you to develop, Mike. I was just going to say. Uh, I have the ideas. Someone can feel free to develop that. I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> well, talking about, we, were t- we mentioned summer reading before, and I, I can't speak to how long summer reading has been around for the teens. Has it always been something that started in children's and then it kind of, there was a separate thing for teens, or was there always a teen? As far as I know, it's always just been the teen summer reading here. Um, I don't know when it started. Like, Mm -hmm. I haven't been working that long that I was here when it was being developed. So, Mm -hmm. um, because it is a New York State, it's a New York State thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, The same way Children's is. Yes. Yeah. And so, what's the success rate with you guys? Do you get a big turnout for it versus, you know, Children's? No, I think Children's children's beats us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Children's always. (laughs) beats us because I think on that there's the buy-in from the parents right Mm -hmm. and they bring their kids and I think that 
when kids are younger, parents feel more obligation for their kids to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times with the teens, we get, you know, a good group that comes in Mm -hmm. on their own. Um, There are some parents that want their kids to do it, but I think children still blows us out of the water on those numbers. Although I was, this is my first year being in charge of summer reading club um, for the teen department at Patchogue. And it was good to see our numbers went up. We had more kids report. So, you know, we've been trying to do different things. We went and visited fifth grade classrooms to try to bring in those new kids. So, I mean, it's nice to see that there is progression and that it is still moving up. More kids are coming to the library for summer reading. I think a lot of times they come for the programs. Mm -hmm. And then it is like, hey, are you signed up for the summer reading club? And they're, you know, having fun prizes and things that they want is part of what, like, hooks them in. Because they're already there because they want to do something fun. And then saying, oh, you should be signed up for this. You can win some really cool prizes. They'll, They'll get on board. That's great. It's good to see that, that, you know, it is going up. The numbers are going up. And we're doing the same thing as HM, right? Um, yeah. We have, um, you gotta, you have to make sure you have prizes that they are gonna actually want because, um, you know, they're gonna, that's they're gonna be their main motivation for even doing the summer reading to begin with. Um, and if you have stuff that they really think they can win, um, then they're gonna, they're gonna do the program. I mean, we, we have some kids that submit like 30 books. Mm-hmm. Like trying to get those raffle tickets or whatever you have for them, so um, we pretty much do the same kind of thing. You also got to make sure it's rules light because if it's not, then the kids who read who just don't like they just won't do it. Right. Like I'm already yeah. reading for fun. Why am I going to do this process? I kill myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Our thing is anything you read counts. If you read to your brother, if you read a magazine, if you read a graphic novel, if you listen to an audiobook, like. The rules are very lax, and you know we do it all online. And there's, you know, f- in, they fill out, you know, two or three questions, and it's not like someone is saying, "Oh, nope, that didn't count." Yeah. Like anything that they put the effort for and do, we try to make it as easy as possible to make it fun for them because we want it to be fun. We don't want it to be like school where they feel like they're getting graded or something like that. That's cool. So the last question that I have before we move on to our next segment is about partnerships. Now. You know, I always feel that in a library, all the departments should be working together as a team in one way, shape, or form. We, you know, each department uh, serves a different type or a different segment of the community. And, you know, what we do in adults may not be what you do in teens, and what teens does may not happen in children's. But what's the relationship and partnership that the departments have in your library with regard to just helping each other out? Not so much you know, well, we don't have anybody at the desk tonight. Can you cover our desk? But in terms of pooling resources and and materials and things like that, how does that work over at PatMed? Does that work well? Well, we're starting to become a lot more community-oriented and doing, you know, all-age programs and stuff like that. So recently there has been more collaboration in doing things that are for the entire community and that all ages are welcome. And we do partner with the Children's Department, like one of our big major community service programs um, is where teens volunteer and help children with their homework assignments. So there's that relationship there. Um, we're starting to build a better relationship with the adult department, but it's kind of a library-wide initiative to be inclusive and you know make it more of a community center and a family center rather than like, no, I'm just going downstairs to the children's department because I want to get my kid a book and then leaving. We want them to see that there's stuff for everyone. Makes sense. 
And it also helps that we're having more and more people work in multiple departments. Yes. So I do Tuesday afternoons on the YA desk. Michelle's going to be doing some hours in adult reference. We have some children's librarians with some uh, part-timers who work both in children's and teens. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that is, I think, helping the cross-pollination a bit. Yeah, some cross-training is always good. So you don't, I feel like it's just customer service-wise. Mm-hmm. If someone comes to you, if it's an adult that comes to me because I'm the first person they see when they walk in, I'm going to do my best to help them. If it's something that is truly an adult resource, I will walk them down, hopefully, if I can, too, and just not sending someone like, oh, you're going to go down there. Or, go talk to the other guy way. down at the other desk, and, yeah, it's not my department. So you're going to go down the hall, bang a right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Michelle brings people to us all the time. She'll walk them over to the adult desk, and it's fantastic because they're, you know, they've already had a good introduction with her, and then when she hands them off to us, it's a little bit less awkward than, like, someone's like, someone sent me here. Yeah. Right. I don't know why I'm here. And then they're going to give you a completely different set of answers to the same questions because they're not sure what they're looking for, and as opposed to, you know, a colleague saying, this is what they're looking for, this is what they need, that kind of thing. And they have to repeat the story over and over again. Right. And sometimes that can be, with adult, adults, can be, like, an epic story. Yes. And it boils down to, I need to find this book. Exactly. Yeah, get, yeah, get to the chase, you know, cut to the chase. And over here at Sachem, we're doing that, too. And we're doing it actually a lot with technology now, too. Yeah, I feel we're definitely starting to collaborate a bit more among departments. We're having our new makerspaces. Um, everyone's kind of getting involved. Um, we've had to, we, you know, I think we're rebranding ourselves so that um, everyone's kind of has a part to play in that. Um we, I, I feel that we do a lot with the children's department. We have been moving towards tween um, programming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the librarians between our department and the children's department has been collaborating on that. We're also moving more towards all ages programming as well. That tends to be very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've had our Star Wars reads and um, we do ramen con um, where everyone's invited. And that's a really good way to connect the community together. And everyone kind of contributes to that. So I see that movement also going that way as well. Sure. And I just talking about the makerspace, you know, I see it because we're actually introducing the concept of um, even though we're having three separate uh, makerspaces in the building, it doesn't necessarily mean that only adults can go to the adult section mm-hmm. and only teens can go to teen. If we're doing a coding program and the software is in the teen department and it's before, you know, when, when teens are still in school, We'll hold a class with adults down there mm-hmm. doing, you know, whatever we need to do or if the technology is down there. And in the same respect with the 3D printers, uh, if the 3D printers are going and, and teen wants to do a program where they, it's a, maybe a two or three part program where they talked about CAD and the kids created something, now they want to bring it upstairs and pop it in one of the 3D printers, you know, that's fine too. And if we want to bring children over into the adult area or down into teen, so long as there's no issue with you know, the rules of, you know, no parents in teen because right. it's a teen safe space or, you know, no adults can go into children's unless they're with a, with a child. If there's segmented rules in effect where they're in, they're doing the program and then they, they are able to get out of it so we don't have any issue with, you know, right. with the rules that, that are needed for children and for teens. Um, the concept is the whole library is a makerspace. And we just have different areas where we're going to be doing these things. Um, so with regard to Sachem, there's been a real knocking down of the walls of departments. And we're even um, exploring having people at CERC 
and custodians and anybody else who works in the building who wants to help, you know, they can have a couple of hours in one of the maker spaces because if there's something like, um, you know, if somebody's interested in the virtual reality that we have and, you know, they work in custodial, why can't they come and help for a couple of hours? Mm-hmm. They, they may know about it. They may want to help with it. So I think not just in terms of adults, teens, oops, as I hit my microphone, uh, adults, teens, and children's, but library-wide, you know, having people with different skill sets who may want to participate and help coming in and helping, I think, is, is important. Because not only does this, that particular skill help the patrons, it helps us as, you know, library employees. And it doesn't matter if you're a librarian, clerk, page, custodian, or anyone else. You know, we're here together and we're all in this together. So in Sachem, we're really starting to see that now where we're a team of one as opposed to a team of different departments. And that's something that I think is really great. Um, it, and it's a, it's a fairly new concept in terms mm-hmm. of breaking down the walls between departments. So I, that's my two it's cents. It's been that way for so long, too. So it's, yeah. you know, adjusting a little bit. But I think um, someone did say, you know, to the st- to the patrons, we're all library workers. There's no, like, distinction page, clerk, librarian. Like, they tend they no to not idea. distinguish between us. So if they want help, they want help. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. You can't say, well, I'm not allowed to do that. So you have to go see the guy <laughs> with the tie over at the right. desk. It's, only so people with ties can answer this question. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I see that encouragement, though, of getting other um, staff members to participate in uh, giving customer service to the uh, patrons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to thank you guys because this has really been kind of eye-opening for me because, like I said, I'm always peeking around the corner and saying, eh, do I go down there? It's <laughs> kind of scary. There's like 30,000 kids down there. Um, so this has been, uh, you know, very educational for me personally, and hopefully the listeners, you know, found it really interesting too. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to uh, ask each one of you uh, the same 10 questions we ask every guest of the podcast. We call it the 032 list because it's the corresponding Dewey number for top 10 lists, and we have to give, again, props to Melanie Cardone from Longwood because she came up with the idea when she was a guest. Um, And if you're a frequent listener of the podcast, then you know we torture every single guest with these 10 questions, and here's a little hint. It's really like more than 10 questions. There's one question that's broken into pieces, but um, you'll see when we uh, go through it. If you want to count while we're, you know, from home while you're listening to this, then you can send us uh, an email, a nasty email, saying you should change the name again, because this this list kind of has been changing names from podcast to podcast. So we're sticking with the Melanie 032 list. But, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to ask you guys the list.
Hi, and we're back uh, with the 032 list that we're going to be asking uh, Stacy Sanzone, Michael Buono, and Michelle Kea, uh, our teen librarians. Do you, at Patrick Medford, are you considered teen or YA? We were YA about a year or two ago. We started calling ourselves teen department. Good. Although our books still say YA, so we, we go by both. <laughs> but yes, technically we're the teen department. Because it's <laughs> funny, from library to library, they, yeah. they, they call us the YA department or teen department. Okay, so now we're going to hit you guys up with the 032 list, which corresponds to the Dewey number uh, for a top 10 list. Um, and it's our top 10, probably more like 13, uh, questions that we usually ask everybody. So the questions were inspired by the website, The Literary Hub, which is a website uh, that has very interesting library-related stories and interviews. You can see their work by uh, going to www.lithub.com. Uh, their Twitter feed, which is great because they have links to all the articles they're talking about it, at LitHub, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelithub. Check them out because they do some really great job educating and informing the library world on great topics all over the world. So thank you, Literary Hub. I always say it wrong. Literary Hub. It's like a tongue twister. Okay. So I'm going to ask the same question and we'll just go around the table. So we'll start with Mike. What did you want to be when you were a child? Um... I didn't really have a job in mind. I just knew I didn't want to be a teacher because my parents were both principals. Oh. So I just, uh, everyone was pushing me towards that direction. And uh, I was a horrible student and not a, a great teenager. So I just, <laughs> I just knew I didn't want to do that. That's funny. Michelle? Um, I started off wanting to be a lawyer. And then I wanted to be a teacher. And then I took my first teaching classes and decided I didn't want to do that. So I think I was kind of like all over the map, though, too. I wanted to be an ice skater, a singer, a dancer. I kind of went through all like the traditional teenage girl things. But when I graduated, it was pretty much teacher. And I was like, I don't want to do this. So, <laughs> Okay, Stacey, you're up. Uh, the first thing that I ever really wanted to do as a career path was to be a paleontologist. Because I was like obsessed with like Discovery Channel and um, Jurassic Park came out, and I was like, I'm gonna totally do that. And of course, I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about it, though. There's some places you can actually go and and, and, and actually do and it. Do go, actual dig site. Yes, yeah, so I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Just for fun. <laughs> so, what was your first memory of the library, and who brought you to the library for the first time, Mike? My mom uh, would take off in the summers, and she would take us to the library uh, almost every day. And my first memory is pulling all the books off the shelves and running around like a lunatic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Michelle? Um, we were a library family. Um, my mother works at the Patrick Medford Library with me. Um, I grew up in the Patrick Medford School District, so... It's funny that I now work at the library that I first went to when I was younger, but always being a part of like story times and summer reading and things like that. That's cool. Um, my mom brought me to the library too. I was a very strong reader. Um, and I just remember being obsessed with those those choose your own adventure books. Oh, God, That's like yeah. the earliest one I remember looking through this library for those books, like all the time. I would they, just sit they and read them. They were always fun. They, they're still publishing them, right? I believe I so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, when did you decide to work in a library? And if not, what was your first career path? Like, I think, Mike, you kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. And it seems as though most librarians don't, you know, go to college right freshman year and, and say, 
oh, I'm going to be a librarian when I finish. I'm going to go right off to library school. Usually it's a second career. So uh, Initially, I was going to do retail. Um, that was really the thought, what I thought I was going to do because it has ma- retail management has some elements of person-to-person interaction. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to go to library school, I was going to do special libraries because I wanted to make money because I hadn't been in retail. <laughs> um, but James only the director of Northport, gave me a tour of the Northport Public Library. Mm-hmm. And at some point, he showed me the teen room and the kids, and he's like, this is the teen room. And I was like, oh, I should go back to working with teens again. Like, that's when I was like, you know, maybe I should, um, you know, dive back in because... I had left it for so long. Mm-hmm. Shell? Um, I fell into it pretty quickly. As I said before, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I only took one semester worth of uh, graduate teaching classes. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure what to do. And on the advice of my mother, I went to library school. So it was a pretty quick transition. And I took, um, at Stony Brook University, they offer some of the beginning library school classes there, Mm -hmm. and that's where I did my undergrad, so it was a natural transition. And then when I started finding out more of what a job as a librarian would be, I'm like, oh, this is for me. I'm going to be into it. Stace? What's funny is, like, I was always working here, but um, I still thought I wanted to do something in English. Like, I was, like, maybe an English teacher or an editor, and... It just never hit me until some point where I was like, why am I not going to library school? So, because <laughs> I was literally in a library for six or seven years. Mm-hmm. So, um, at some point, I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to go do that. Because I, something about, um, I looked at like the, the job list for editors, like what it takes to get in. They all required like a ton of experience before you even got to get in. Like, so I was just like unsure of what to do. And then I'm like, duh, I work in a library. So. <laughs> okay, so this is a question that we always love to hear the answers to because we haven't gotten the same answer twice. Well, maybe once or twice, but not that often. Who's your favorite fictional librarian? Giles from Buffy. That's no, a good one. That is my favorite one. That is my favorite one. <laughs> I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he's like so like the traditional but not traditional librarian. So he was great with them. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was like, "Oh, right." Yeah. <laughs> so I will have to echo Mike. Sadly, you now have two of the same two of the answers. same answer. <laughs> uh, what's funny is I was just watching The Mummy yesterday, and Av um, Carahan, I think, is the character's name. Uh huh. She's I love her. She's so. We cool. actually got that one before too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I like her whole. Today. <laughs> I am a librarian. That whole thing she does. It's great. Okay. So what would you be doing if you were not working in a library? Um, there was a brief period of time in my 20s where I was going to be a park ranger. Like, that was, like, my goal. Somebody actually came in yesterday looking for the park ranger test collection book. That's pretty funny. It's not easy to get into. Um, it's a very transitory life. Uh, if I'm a so- very social person, and there's a lot of isolation involved. Um, but that's probably where I would end up. That or, sadly, probably be a teacher. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's where my natural skill set actually kind of lies. Michelle? Um, in my personal time, I'm very into fitness and exercise and nutrition, so I think that I would maybe be some sort of fitness instructor or a nutritionist. Stacy? Uh, I'm actually an artist, so I would probably end up in graphic design or something like that. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, so what is your favorite section of the library? 
weirdly local history. Um, I, I can I, see that though. I have a BA in history, and I like social history is always my favorite part of of history, and local history is almost all social history. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, it's very hyper focused on how people lived. Very interesting, Michelle. Well, I love the teen section of the library because that is the collection that I read and recommend. But I also do love looking through the cookbooks in the adult department. Oh, yeah, <laughs> cookbooks. Yeah. Stacey? Uh, for me, it's graphic novels. Um, I order them for the library, too, and I've ordered them when I was at uh, uh, the Longwood Public Library, but I just love comics in general, so um, anywhere where there's graphic novels is good for me. Okay, so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? Go ahead, Mike. That's hard. I mean, I would probably amplify a lot of the things that we're doing now and just make it bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly think that libraries as a whole, in terms of services, are, are, are pretty much doing the best they can with the money they have. Mm-hmm. And if they ha- if we had more money, we could do like some really crazy things, but still within the same realm of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So like a larger digitization effort, uh, more computers, uh, more technology for people to be able to use and borrow. Uh, but at the same time, just more space for people to hang out. I mean... There's not any, like, where we live, you can't go anywhere for free and hang out unless That's you true. have a house. And even then, it's like you're cleaning up for people to come over and everything else. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice for people just to be able to be like, have a place to go where they can be themselves and not have to worry about preparing for company or anything like that. Michelle? I would love to see a whole huge maker section at our library where we don't really have a big designated space for that yet of that had sound recording studio musical instruments you know just the latest and greatest and i would also love it if we could have a huge garden filled with garden beds and sustainable plants and bird sanctuaries and bird houses and nature walks and paths because it's something that i personally enjoy and i know a lot of people in the community would too stacy Uh, I think we, like, the first thing that I would think of would be to get more community space. Um, We already fight over the rooms that we have now, um, and it would be nice to have extra rooms and space for people to just come in and hang out and, um, or just like, okay, this is going to be maker space week, and we can just use the extra space for the entire week and not have to worry about bumping into other people's schedules. Um, Just having the extra room would just be great, I think. Okay, so what do you love about your library? The people. I mean, just not only the staff members I work with who are great, but the kids who come in are fantastic. And um, both libraries I work at, I work here too. Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely am happy when I'm working and there's people there um, when they are there. Uh, I don't want to start mentioning patron names. That's weird. But like that's like also anti privacy. But it's it's just that there's so many amazing, interesting personalities that come in, and most of them are like super kind, and even those that aren't are super interesting. And mm-hmm. it's just it's a lot of um, it's just a, it's a it, for me it's very fulfilling just to even ex- be in people's presence like that. That's cool, Michelle. 
I love how outside of the box our library has become. We are present at a lot of different things. Um, just yesterday, I was on the library bocce team, and we played against <laughs> yeah. some of the local restaurants and bars and things like that. And that just we have a presence in the community that is beyond just being the library, and that we have the freedom to say like, "Oh, this is going on. I think that we should be a part of it." And you know, we're lucky to have good administration that says, yeah, we should be, like, you know, that we're not just the library, we're a big part of the community itself. Wow, that is cool. Stacy. Uh, for me, definitely um, the people, um, whether it's our colleagues, um, they're just such creative, wonderful people, um, and then our patrons, our teens, they really are amazing kids, and um, I feel, like, privileged to be able to be uh, working with them. And you get to learn so much, and it's just such a rewarding experience, I think. The worst is when none of them are around. I know. Well, it's like a Saturday, and you're it's just like, forever like, where alone. are you? <laughs> 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 okay, so what is the weirdest, not necessarily worst, but weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? Uh, our library is super weird. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick is kind of like the Austin, Texas of Long Island. So, like... People are just very big personalities. Um, so we have had some weird... We, we had a bocce, the bocce court. Okay, that's a good, easy one to do. Uh, like, we had a bocce court in the, the break room. Mm-hmm. In the, the break last, room? In, yeah, in the, like a, like a, it's like a downstairs break room. It's not the staff lounge. We have that, too. But it's like a, a space where we uh, do random stuff, like, because we all were always doing random stuff. Mm-hmm. So we had an indoor bocce court, which we were playing on breaks leading up to the bocce team debut. <laughs> so as I when I said we're all, there's something always something weird going on, there's literally always something weird going on. Yeah, I wouldn't say that there is a normal. I think it's very hard to pinpoint the weirdest thing that's happened in our library. Once a week you walk in and you just go, "What are we doing?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, Without naming names, just some characters of patrons and that people walk in and sometimes you're like, whoa, did that really happen? Or like, yeah. <laughs> just things like that. We have self-identified cowboys, you know, like, they, we, like we have. Wow. That's, that's a little strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Go ahead, Stace. Um, yeah, I don't. It's it's hard to pick out something specific because there's always something like where you're just like, what? <laughs> um, See, and for me, I would say, well, it's the team department. Of course, there's going to be weird things that happen down there, <laughs> or even just things yeah. I hear about. Like uh, my coworker told me the other day, a hawk dropped roadkill on her car while she was eating. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's right. I heard about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Like just bump right on the front of her car. So um, I, it's really hard to just pick one thing. I think. <laughs> And you get used to it after a while, so you don't see it as weird sometimes. It becomes a new normal. Yes. Like, other people yeah. would be like, did you just see what just happened? And I'm like, mm. It's like... <laughs> just <laughs> another normal. day, yeah. It's normal for a teen to throw a shoe up into the bushes and, you know, and walk around with one shoe on and run around and, you know, that's normal. That's normal. <laughs> okay, so what... Who is your favorite regular patron? You don't have to give last names or anything, but... Uh, that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. I can't really distinguish... Um, I have, uh, I care very deeply for the, the teens that come in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can't even choose. It's, it's a little intense for me. Like, 
I, I, I even go running through it. Like, they're also great. They really are. Uh-huh. I could name people, but I can't really name people. You know what I mean? Like right, in my sure. head, the like the list is going scrolling right, through. You see all these faces flashing in front of your your eyes, right? Yeah, but yeah. and it's it's so I don't know. That sounds like a cop out answer, but there's just different things about each one of them that kind of endear them to me. Mm-hmm. And um, the the worst is when they think for some reason I don't like them. Maybe it's because I keep my face kind of straight at all times as mm-hmm. like a as a way of handling their behavior, but. Uh-huh. It's like, nah, man, I like you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, Michelle? Um, at Patrick, we have a group that call themselves the Teen Friends, and we meet with them every um, other Friday. And they are just like the most outgoing, fun group of kids that love the library. They love each other. We take them on a picnic once a year. And you know, there's some of them, obviously, that I have a more close relationship with. There's one girl in particular that reads the same books I read. Um, she listens to the same type of music. So, I mean, just in particular, I enjoy talking to her. But this whole group of kids, how much they love the library and then just how funny they are. Like, I am in tears laughing at some of the things that they say sometimes. So that group as a whole is definitely my favorite. That's cool. What do you think, Stacy? I'm kind of in the same position as Mike where I can't really pick out like a certain even a group that I'm that is my favorite. Um, I think even the kids that we have some issues with, we care about them and they need us more. Mm-hmm. So um, it's hard to say that those kids aren't our favorite either right because they need us the most. so I don't know it's it's kind of a tricky, but like my favorite, um, interaction with them is when everybody is just happy and having fun um on our crazy friday nights with our 60 teenagers in the room um my favorite aspect of that whole thing is when everyone is just having a good time and everyone's interacting and and we don't have to worry too much there there's times when the two of us will stand in the middle of the room and everything will be happening around us and we're not even technically like involved it's like yeah <laughs> Yeah, you're like in a fishbowl of sound and people, and that's yeah. probably my favorite moment because Stacy and I can stop and say to each other, like, I can't believe we're doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, the kids are sitting there playing board games, and they're talking nice to each other, and they're all playing their games, and uh, um, and that's like, it's a good to just step back and be like, wow, these everything's going really great. These kids so. are great. <laughs> I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our last question, and it's my favorite question, is, what are people without library cards missing out on? Everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's probably a large number of teens in both districts I work in who don't have library cards mm-hmm. and who go home after school and don't talk to anyone and don't have anyone to talk to and their parents may be working late. Those kids are the ones I worry about. Mm-hmm. Like I think of, I th- I don't know who they are and I don't know their faces, but I think about them. I think about what they might be going through, that could be either fairly easily resolved if they came to the library. Like here's somebody to talk to, you know, right. these are people that you have a common interest with, or who you know might just need a resource, might need that hotline number, like a child abuse number or whatever it might be. Like those people. Who, people who are being victimized or tend to be isolated the most and mm-hmm. that is what I, I I worry about isn't so much like oh you're missing out on all the fun but like we can at very least give you this number and this could lead you to a place that might get you help right Michelle 
Well, I do think that people who don't have library cards are missing out on all the fun. Um, the way that the library is moving now, too, we have outdoor games that people can lend. We have fishing poles. We have this whole thing at Patrick where they say, like, you know, not just books. We have um, movie projectors that people can rent out and stuff like that. And I think that it is very important that we provide the number and the face and stuff like that. But I would say for the general public that doesn't have library cards, it's like, come on down because you'd be amazed at all the stuff that we really do have. Embrace our weird. Yes, embrace the weirdness. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Stacey? Um, I agree with Michelle. Um, there, there's so much that we offer, even our entire consortium um, that we have here of libraries, um, just the things that you're able to do. I mean, we're going to be end up having our maker spaces soon. We have, um, just for our teens, we have Xboxes and Playstations and um, iPads, and they can make projects and do RPG Maker and things like that on our creation station. So there's really a ton of things they can do with their library card. But I also, um, what's good about um, our department is they can still come in even if they don't have a library card, and they can still interact with others. Um, so they and. Um, even with uh, some programs, we can be lenient sometimes. So if they don't have a card yet, they could try some stuff out, and then we can get them a library card. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot. A library card's like a key to everything, I think. I agree. Well, I have to thank you guys for coming in, because uh, this is really, like I said before, been really eye-opening for me. And uh, I hope for the listeners as well that, to see what, you know, what happens in the teen room and what happens in, in young adults. So I really want to thank you guys for coming down. Um, so that's all the time we have for this edition. And if, we, if you have any questions or comments about the show, you can go to the contact us section of our website, www.thelibrarypros.com. We will also uh, have links and uh, notes from, uh, for all of our episodes. And you can also check us out on Twitter at thelibrarypros and on facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And, you, can, and um, you know, it's funny. I always mess this part up at the end. I always misread it. <laughs> Um, and so you don't miss anything, a thing, uh, don't forget to subscribe on RSS, iTunes, Android, email, and Google Play. And remember, the opinions stated by the library pros are, and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, if he were here, um, and the guests, and not those of the Sachin Public Library, Emma Clark Library, the Patrick Medford Library, or any other library. So thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. Listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippa Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Mr. Chris Caparo and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sage and Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>